0: Welcome to this episode of the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm Don Mills.
1: And I'm David Campbell.
0: David, a very good conversation with uh, uh, a real quality person, Rustin Southwell, the founding CEO and and current CEO of the Black Business Initiative, uh, an organization that I've been interested in learning more about for a really long time. And with the conversation with Rustin, uh, I think what we've discovered is that uh, they have a A reputation that goes well beyond Nova Scotia, Um, and there seem to be a a model organization for helping Black businesses succeed, and and, and so much so that they've recently taken on a mandate with the support of the federal government to expand their work to all of Atlantic Canada. And and just as an aside, uh, Rustin uh, was recently inducted into the Nova Scotia Business Hall of Fame Uh, which he's justifiably proud of. And and he deserves to be there for sure. Uh, But he was also named as one of the 100 top black influencers in Canada. So this is somebody that uh, has really made a major difference in his community. And I'm very glad to have him on our podcast.
1: Yes, I'm very. I was very excited when we when we set up the interview with him uh, because I do think that most or many, unfortunately, many people in Atlantic Canada, including myself, didn't understand. I, I had heard of the organization, but I didn't understand the extent of of their involvement and what they're doing and some of the very exciting things they're doing. You know, they're deploying a couple hundred million dollars in capital. They're working with, uh, you know, uh, over the course of a year, potentially dozens and even hundreds of different uh, individuals uh, and and they've got many partners in the community so there's lots of really great things going on and the fact that he was recognized for that through this in, in, duct, inductation, in, induction induction uh, into the hall of fame i think is just a, a good uh, a good a really good uh, uh time now an opportunity to tell this story and i'm happy that uh, don uh, you set that up and we were able to tell the story
0: yeah, one of the things that he mentioned that I think are, is really worth uh, repeating is that the, the, he's working with young people uh, starting at a really young age, nine years old, I think he said, to get them thinking about you know entrepreneurial opportunities. Uh, this is something that, by the way, our society in general needs. We're not as entrepreneurial as other parts of Canada. Uh, we don't do a good job in our school system except for junior achievement to introduce uh, kids to the possibility of uh, owning and running their own businesses so I I was really uh, happy to hear that story I hadn't heard that story before and you know he's already got people you know they've been they've been around for 25 years he now sees people coming out of that process and doing extremely well and he mentioned a couple examples so Uh, We know that uh, that early mentorship of young people works and uh, it takes a while to to harvest that work, but uh, they're clearly in that process right now.
1: But there are some stubborn disparities, which, you know, we need to identify and address. So there's only about half as many. Um, um, self-employed in the Black community compared to the rest of the population in the Halifax area is one example. Uh, you know, the average income level, the, the spread between the Black community and the rest of the community is quite large. It continues to be quite large. So so we need to identify these things and work on them. And I think you, you're pretty passionate about doing a better job of connecting the Black business community and Black business leaders to, to the rest of the business community in, in the Halifax area.
0: Well, uh, yeah, to that point, I I I actually feel personally that I failed uh, to do more to help the black community. Uh, There's probably a lot of people in the in the business community who are very sympathetic to the challenges of the black community, would like to help, perhaps don't know exactly what they need to do to help, and and you know I hope that the black uh, business initiative uh, you know uh, reaches out. To, to the broader community in a more aggressive way to seek the support of the broader business community because I think we can help. You know, we can help by understanding the businesses uh, that uh, are being run by Black people and how they could, you know, support the work that we're doing in 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 our other businesses. People are willing to help, but you know, we have to break that. There's a bit of a, a barrier between the Black Business Initiative and the rest of the business community that I hope we can find a way and, and the business community that we can find a way to break down those barriers and, 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 and really make a difference on both sides of of, of that barrier. And, and uh, you know um, I, you know, I encourage any business person out there to think about how they can help diversify if nothing else, their workforce, you know, reach out to black businesses uh, when they need uh, they need suppliers and And help uh start to deal with the inequity in terms of the percentage of businesses owned by black, black black people and also to help the income disparity that is currently existing. It won't happen without without help from the broader community in my opinion.
1: I agree with you a hundred percent, and I think this this one hour podcast is going to go a long way to help uh educate folks as to the opportunities and as to the the role that this uh, the black uh, uh, business initiative is is doing in Nova Scotia and now excitingly uh, branching out across all of Atlantic Canada.
0: Yeah, so I encourage everybody to take a moment to listen to somebody that uh, that uh, we should all be grateful for that lives in, in in our community and is making such a big difference and continues to make a, a big difference. So here's our conversation with Rustin Southwell the CEO of the Black Business Initiative. We are pleased to welcome Rustin Southwell, the CEO of the Black Business Initiative, to the Insights podcast. Rustin was the first and founding CEO of the Black Business Initiative, which was founded in 1995. Welcome to the podcast, Rustin.
2: Uh, good morning, Don. Thanks for inviting me here. looking forward to it.
1: You emigrated to Nova Scotia in 1972 from the island of St. Kitts. What brought you to Nova Scotia in the first place?
2: <laughs> it's chasing, chasing my dream, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I'd been a young man in the Caribbean and I, at 19 years old, I was teaching in um, high school. And at the time, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I, I thought I wanted to get into medicine. So I'd spent a year in Barbados at, at uh, Kayville uh, University, Western campus and, on Kayville uh, testing those. So I didn't think I impressed my parents too much. So I got back to St. it's on the break, and we were talking about what's, what's next. And um, Dr. Sebastian, who did his medicine at Dalhousie, was in the conversation um, with my dad, and they saw a colluded in front of me because he had two sons in Nova Scotia at the time to see if I can come up here and, and somehow get into school. At the time, I suspected my dad, who was in politics in the government and saying it's probably needed me out of the Caribbean. So he doesn't have any more embarrassment. <laughs> so, so I got, um, I got shipped, shipped up to, to Nova Scotia in 70, in 72.
1: So can you tell us a little bit about your career path and how, how that led you to, to founding the black business initiative and your current role with the organization?
2: Yeah. Um, well, for, for me, I, I like, I like to believe that I saw her. Strolling backwards into this particular role because you know during my during my days um engine i love science engineering and um probably probably a career in medicine would have been my preferred a uh, career choice but what i hadn't realized at the time as a young man um what we now call entrepreneurism we just thought we're doing stuff right so at our home in the back we had a huge garden that was um Some workers used to come in and um, and plow it and grow lettuce and tomatoes and so on. And I used to find myself taking some of the excess produce to the market and selling them. And then, as I returned home, my mother would hijack me and take the money from me. (laughs) I didn't know at the time that she was she was banking it. And um, later on, as I got in my teen years um, on Frigate Bay, which is a a huge tourist. Strip on the Peninsula in San Kitts right now it hadn't been as big, and there was a restaurant out there that was fledging. And I remember proposing to my to my dad that we'd be able to run it, and he kicked me and my buddies out of his office, saying that we were too young to be capitalists. So I, didn't, <laughs> I hadn't realized that that stream at that time, and we did other things. So as I came here. And as it, as it turned out, like he, when he passed away uh, quite suddenly in, in 1979, at the conference that created the Organization of Eastern Caribbean States, um, not knowing what to do, I went into restaurant management. So there was a, uh, Carrier Operations had a group of restaurants in Mi'kmaq Mall, um, Steak & Burger, Mug & Burger, River Beef, and so on. And I got into, into management there and the, the figures um, were so stunning in terms of food costs, labor costs, and everything that like the VPs from, from Toronto used to come down to figure out, what are these people doing down there? I, I don't know if you remember Micmac Mall back in those days. But one day we did, um, just in the steak and burger alone, we did like fifteen or $20,000 in sales. And they had never seen that. You know, um, As a manager, I was washing glasses, didn't have to do anything. Everything was running uh, so well. And that's what then got them to recognize when the Harvey's in Spryfield um, wasn't doing anything, they gave me the chance to to take it as a licensee from them. So I got into that that business. Um, Same sort of thing. It was doing maybe $1,500 a week, which is nothing for a franchisee. Um, And I got it up from that to close to a million dollars in sales. Then the licensing agreements are changing because I hadn't invested in putting the building together. So eventually, uh, got out of that business and landed on Gardingan Street. In fact, in in a, a um, self employment uh, development initiative uh, for the for the black community within the Gardingan Street area, um, which was done by HRSDC, we took about fifteen folks who were. Uh, various stages in their life, and did some strategies that got them in different levels of business. From actually from nothing, because there wasn't BBI and funds around, we helped them to write the business plan, present themselves, and most of them started a business. Some of them, in some levels, still surviving. At the same time, the the task force for for BBI had begun doing the consultation, and so. I was asked to attend many of the sessions. Um, they were voluntary planning. Voluntary planning was looking at um, that strategy at simultaneously um, as, as the task force themselves. And so when BBI actually turned over from task force to an opportunity, I interviewed with Hector Jakes and others for the, um, for the position and w- was, uh, was successful.
0: Yeah, so you were the CEO for the first 17 years um, before retiring in 2012, but now you're back as the interim CEO. What happened?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, Don, you know the cyclical nature of of, uh, (laughs) business and these initiatives, right? Um, Yeah, the truth is, uh, we often wonder in, in the in the black community if the initiative was expected to last this long right because it was um it was in a corporation agreement um, roughly a million dollars a year five-year agreement and at the end of the five years we had seen a significant growth in um, in business um, startups and growth in 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 the community and it continued with that we had a lot of very bright minds at the table the, the board members who kept uh, pushing and, and growing the strategy. And I think at, at a certain point, there's always this idea that, you know, you outgrow your usefulness. And so as as we developed over the years, putting various, um, various items together, the organization had grown. But one of the things that has always happened to us, and I remember in... Um, in around 2001, 2002, after the first five years were over, was um, the limitations of doing these type of um, uh, programming. And what had happened was we had, uh, in our lending, we had created a a blanket guarantee with uh, RBC. So we do the adjudication approved the loans and they would lend against that. And because of that, they were lending using their own funds. So we able we were able to grow a certain level and what the counterbalance to that was was the tendency well this isn't supposed to be making funds whereas we thought it's created a sense of sustainability for the community so a lot of the the way we were funded changed like you know initially we get the funds at the beginning of the year, then it was every six months, then every quarter, and then you know, you ask to spend it and then re- reimburse, which have different impacts on, on, on the cash flow. So your, your, your sustainable funds kept dwindling down over a period of time. Then we got into doing other strategies like uh, construction of future uh, development agency and so on. So what we saw was a, a tightening of how the organization uh, got support and as you, you grew, the, the the funding formula, your your access to to capital to operate change. And we just, you know, for the for the understanding of the organization, our funding in 1996 and 1996 dollars never went up. Right? it went it went down. And I think, eventually, around 2012 2013, when the file from um, from the province was moved to, from economic development to, um, to NSBI. Um, there was a, a, a cut in, in about a 20, 20% or so cut in the contract and that meant that the, the federal matching funding also went down. So it was a little bit of a, a struggle in the organization. And um, once the management changed, they asked me to come back uh, in an interim basis, which which was last six years, <laughs> to to move it. So, just the end of that story is that we're about ten times larger now than we were at that point of my return in 2016. So, it's been a phenomenal um, turnaround.
0: Wow. Well, can you t- just tell us a little, uh, give us an overview of the organization's key strategic goals, if you could, Rustin.
2: Yeah, we um we actually right now we using a, a a purpose line of, of why we exist as changing lives by enabling economic independence, which coincidentally was always uh, the tenets of the initial task force uh, when we went out, um, which clearly stated a vibrant and dynamic black business community within the Nova Scotian business uh, community which is a noble a noble cause at that time right and significantly saying listen to our community listen you have to work within the community there's no cocooning on the side of, of such a mammoth um, economy if you really want to to grow wealth and sustain it and then on 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 the other side to the mainstream community we were saying Listen, they're diverse and very capable um, Black community um, businesses who actually can support your your diversity. And you have to realize in 1996, not too many people were thinking outside the box like that. Um, There was um, a rare irony. There's probably yourself. Some of the folks of ABC got it, but a lot of people went proactively, as you see now, largely because of George Floyd. So we set that out and we thought we'd do it really information training, um, um, credit assessment, and because of having something like Hector and Gordon Tynes as the first chairs, it was a very robust strategy that um, we wanted that. We wanted quality. We took a lot of um, heat for setting the standards high, but I think it's paid off when you see some of the results that came out, Um, so much so that we were outpacing places like Montreal in terms of black companies doing over a million dollars in sales at a a certain point around between 2001 and and 2010, we were seeing a a good growth in those things. So we've sucked to that. We've sucked to that strategy. But on top of it, Grace White, the late Grace White and Joan Jones, um, Dolly Williams, and John Madison, the folks who actually, and Tony Ross, the folks who created the task had enough foresight to include what they were calling those um a community development fund which is a a small amount of the entire budget like very small uh used to leverage community activity and that has paid dividends to the organization in in later years which we probably can talk about um with some of the initiatives that came out as a result of that but we've supported about. Um, at you know, at about 22, we support supported about 80 or so community organizations, including Hope Blooms and, and others on that and, uh, on that funding.
0: Right. Uh, what are the key initiatives uh, that uh, the organization is currently involved in from a programming perspective, Rushton?
2: Yeah, so we've, um, and, and thanks for that. I mean, there's, there's um, over the years, one of the benefits of BBI and what we've done is every year, we have a, a strategic uh, session with the BBI um, board members, um, the staff members, uh, some community members as well, to see where what are the gaps and where we should actually lay our heads. So in um, we started in ninety six, in ninety nine, one of the first thing that we realized is that if we don't speak to the youth, um, we we're not going to last very long. So. In 1999, we created Businesses Jamming, which is our, our youth. It's now a charitable organization that uh, addresses youth anywhere from nine years old up to up to 30 in, in uh, entrepreneurship training and um, STEM and STEAM items. Um, Percy Paris was a minister of economic development, um, the late Dr. Rudy French. Um, Mike, Mike Weiss um, and uh, Tracy Thomas were the architects of that initiative. But Businesses and really engage, had a simple uh, concept. You get them at nine or 10, who knows, in 10 or 15 years, you can have a uh, Bill Gates on your hands. And we've tested that and proven it when you see people like Ross Simmons now, for example, who was a teenager who attended that. And um, I mentioned Hope Blooms, for example, that came into into the business camps that we were providing with Jesse Jolly Mote, uh, telling the youth that they were going to business school. <laughs> and so Businesses Jamming has turned out to be one of our key initiatives, and it's still ongoing, and we're still doing um, a significant amount of work in that area. We also, um, obviously, in this current setting, um, most people are moving on the DNI, as it's called now, the diversity and employment, how do you engage those? And even before um, George Floyd um, was uh, murdered, that actually created a a heightened awareness, especially with COVID people are sitting at home. Most people have heard the horrors in the past, but didn't realize because now they were at home in front of their television, you couldn't run away from it. So you had to to see it and address it. So it was around that time we had um, decided that diversity employment network is a key way for us to look at things and we thought of working with um, corporate organizations like um, uh, Cove and Emira and, and others to, to, to push those strategies. And so we created that to drive employment, to drive, um, employment, uh, to drive the, the internal pieces that organizations can benefit from. And as it turned out, after all of this happened, everybody put their own departments in. So we've we but have running diversity and employment right now. Uh, we had a BIPOC fear a few months ago that had it was oversubscribed with 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 um, folks who were looking job seeking networks and so on, and it continues to drive that. So that's one of the initiatives that we're doing. We still continue to to do the our sweet spot, the bread and butter entrepreneurship. Um, Counseling, lending, um, those type of strategies, but more importantly, we're just expanded into the Atlantic provinces. So, as a matter of fact, tonight we're going to Newfoundland to to do our road showcase, a bit of a launch, and we'll be in New Brunswick and PI providing similar services off of that. And then one of the key one of the key initiatives that we were asked to join because BBI over the period of time, BBL had become a high-performing um, Black organization. So we were part of the government um, Black Intermediary Network that's supporting, the, supporting Black Canadian Communities Initiative. And that was designed largely because of COVID. How do you get support on the ground to grassroots organizations? And it's a capacity bill. So we want the intermediaries, and we're doing this as a national organization, except for Quebec, where we provide funding to to black organizations to help them with governance, fundraising, and so on. It's not a core um, funding institute, but it's how how do you build build an uh, organization? And we've got a huge amount of funds that we handle for, on behalf of the government. That and then the other piece is the black entrepreneurship net um, bep program that's over 200 million dollars in funding and other services which i was proud when Mina Singh was here in july and she said the federal government were wondering if it could work until she came and visited what bbi had managed to do and and um, decide to model it in that way so we feel like we're that nova scotia is the granddaddy of all of the entrepreneurship thing that you see, it's happening across the country in the black communities right now, and in fact, the model has been used on that. So we um, it was it is on the BEP as it's called, the Black Entrepreneurship Program ecosystem, that we expanded to the other provinces. Those are some of the key key areas, and that's why that's why the capacities um, move as quickly as it has. So long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: So, what are the key metrics that you're using to measure your performance? Is it number of new companies started, funds deployed? Uh, what, what are the measures that you're looking at every year?
2: Yeah. So, on the, we have um, we work with um, a, a statement of work with our our partners. Uh, BBI is still um, still supported federally by a core and provincially by um, Nova Scotia Business Inc, which probably is going to change. Um, Um, Soon, so economic development department, and in terms of the business development metrics, there is um, uh, company stats, um, uh, jobs, job creations, um, uh, qualitative things like the quality of the operations. Uh, Also, metrics uh, in the in the business sector, how many of them are are trading, uh, like export exporting. women um, in business employment as well, um, and uh, dollar, dollar growth, so we provide scaling. We, there's also, I mean, there's so many stories, there's also a need to, to recognize um, uh, companies at the start phase that actually can go on a fast track. Uh, I often tell the story of uh, Glenn Cavery in in Dartmouth, who, uh, although he wasn't funded by BBI initially, he started with a modest amount of ten or fifteen thousand um, dollars in loans. Now he's one of the biggest companies in uh, in Nova Scotia uh, by none with his construction company, and we've invested. <laughs> we've invested in 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 his um. In his operation for for a quite quite a quite a few years in the form of um, various type of supports, non n- non repairable supports as well. But we've seen that sort of thing in terms of the 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 metrics for the supporting black community initiative. Your intermediary, um, how many how much dollars you can get out to how many organizations. So you know we keep track of that on on a quite a uh, ongoing basis. Um, we've um, transferred funds to over 230 organizations across the country at an average around $45,000. So it's a significant investment in Black communities. In the businesses jamming, the youth is similar type of things. What's the engagement? How many folks are participating? Where are they going in terms of... Um, we do things like um, experience in architecture, you know, um, they do business further and those things. How, how many... How many youth were engaged in and you know i may add that um the the youth i mentioned um, ross simmons early on but there, there's a, a a young lady um keisha jeffries who's now a phd in nursing like she went through businesses jamming the head of the ibm program at dalhousie law school she went through businesses is jamming and i think um it's a, it's a Tia Upshaw who is doing women business development. So they said gone to businesses jamming. So we, you know, like 25 years old now, we start to see what we say would happen if you, if you do that well. So, <laughs> so, so the, the, the metrics are there and then the diversity and employment is employment and how do you do that growth as well. So,
1: so can you give us a sense of what your annual budget is and how many employees you have at the organization?
2: Yeah. So, um, so the history of BBI uh, in 1996 on the corporation agreement, we had a, a a million dollar budget that did everything. So out of that, you had to do your training department, your your loans, your your, your employment, your operations, and so on. And we had about um, roughly seven to ten staff, um, pretty modest. And you know, we just heard of a research that. Uh, organizations in in nova scotia like ours are usually on the lower third um in terms of um employment and 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 scales and it was even worse for us so back then we managed to grow the organization when we created what we were calling the the composite model that made businesses jamming a, a charity um uh helped by royal bank at the time, and we we did a, a community economic development investment fund that created some other pool of, of capital that we raised on RSPs and, and those areas. So that was our modest expansion. And as Don said earlier on, you know we saw a dip for twenty twelve. So right now, with the supporting black community initiative uh, coming on, and the diversity and employment, and our our. Black entrepreneurship moving to the other Atlantic. We've moved from around a dozen staff to around 20, 21, 22. So it's a, a fair size growth. And for the first time, we have employees outside outside the province. We have at least two, um, one in Newfoundland and one in um, New Brunswick. And we have to probably do another higher in, in New Brunswick. So it's going that perspective. And if you, if you match the, the budget at the time, at 2012, when I left, we were probably close to about two, two, two million dollars. So, was what the operating um, budget and all those things were included. Now we're handling a lot more funding. I'm not sure if the operation budget has changed because much of what we do is flow through, like it comes to us to go out to to other areas. But if you if you take the Contribution agreements for the diversity and employment, the um, the core BBI, the B the Black Entrepreneurship Program, and the Supporting Black Community Initiative. Each of those can be um, can be easily a half a million to to close to a million dollars for, for those, and um, we are now seen because of we're seen as our capacity. We often get asked to deliver to deliver um, um, programming. So we did a, a, a job, for example, on the Employment Equity Act, the, the research around that. And as a consultancy, we are able to then um, get um, funds to deliver those services. So if you add those into into what we're handling, it's uh, significantly more than one would expect. Um, the, the Supporting Black Communities Initiative over 200 organizations average 45,000, you know, that's about five or $6 million that we, we put out um, in the community. And then the administrative costs is um, usually 15 or, or 20%. So there's two pieces to it. The If you look at cure administration, it could be between, anywhere between two and 4 million. If it looks at how much we're handling, it could be easily between eight and 10.
0: Uh, Rustin, we have a lot of questions, so uh, we're going to go through the next part uh, fairly quickly to get those questions in. Um, I want to ask you, uh, how has the number of black businesses grown since the founding of BBI?
2: What we saw like in the the first five years, we saw 40% growth. And one of the pushbacks on that was, hey, we don't know what the baseline was, but this was from uh, Statistics Canada, There was now our numbers. And then five years later, we still see a further uh, 30% uh, growth in, 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 um, in black businesses. And one of the significant things that made a core figure that this was working was we saw um, black businesses with employees instead of a one part, you know, we saw four, 10 employees as well. So one, we're, we're seeing a, a, better, a better quality of businesses with higher, with higher employment. When you see uh, companies like um, Bin Doctor, which is um, uh, mm-hmm. uh, from the cradle for us, one of the companies from the cradle of us, going from two or three people to maybe um, 20 staff or, or more. Um, and then you have the, the titans like Mike Duck and, 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 and Larry Gibson, those folks who are doing 200 uh, plus people. More recently, um, um, Vanity Fashion, somebody like Yemi Akindunja, who has uh, costume jewelry manufacturing um, 20, 30 people. I mean, there's is, is no secret that you are seen a much more dynamic, um, um, smooth meal prep and, and a different quality of business owners uh, who are now taking accountability and, and growth uh, more. So uh, we've seen... Um, a significant growth. I believe, on the numbers that we were looking at back then was maybe um, three to 400 uh, companies. Uh, when you include all of the small startups and, and the other companies, we are seen a significant growth on that level. And we're we actually just engaging uh, Dr. Javi Miller to do, uh, he did a study for us on, on the COVID impact to do further, further study on, on those um, companies there. It's, it's actually, Um, I think it's continued. Um, You know, there's some attrition because of uh, uh, COVID, because we tend to be heavy in the service sector and construction, and those took some of the biggest hit. But we've seen a more innovative uh, group of companies coming out.
0: Yeah, some of those examples that you mentioned are are good. I mean, Michael Duck and... uh, Larry Gibson, uh, who I've both known, known for a long time, they're great business guys, and they're w- really, really well-known in the bigger business community as well. They do a, they, they do quite a bit in the, in the bigger community, so those are great examples. David?
1: So one of your programs is called the Supporting Black Communities Initiative, the SBCC. Can you tell us a little bit about this community program?
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny because that one, um, you know, I think, when we look at BBI in the future, and I, I may, Donna may be jumping on one of the other questions, when you look at BBI in the future, I, I think that bodes well for what has happened here. We were asked, we were invited to Ottawa when this was being designed, and the conversations we're having is how do you make um, quality uh, um, black um, grassroots organizations to build because there, there's a obviously uh, uh, not as many um, folks in that sector who were doing as well and um, the the community was getting frustrated because when they applied for these different um, programs they were not successful not realizing that they actually weren't prepared as as well so they were trying to find solutions for that and we felt proud because around the table when they were asking about uh, organizations with the capacity and this was from all across the country BBI was the only organization that every table had on their list of folks who can do it. So we were the only one who, who did that. And so the HISDC or ESDC set that up in how do you build capacity within grassroots organizations in the form of an intermediary that goes out to make sure that the, the tenants of, of governance, um, excellence, um, and strategies, and, and even how do you raise funds? was set up. So essentially what we do is put the call for proposals and get them to do that. And we have a educative body from from the from the committee itself who make the decisions and who gets it's not us, but those persons make the decisions who get funded. And we've done two or three rounds. I mentioned it was oversubscribed. So we the federal government put more funding in um, to that. I think um, there are Four, right now, there are four intermediaries across the country, Group Transet, Transet in Quebec, Tropicana in Ontario, and Africa Centre in um, in Edmonton. BBI have somehow become sort of the centre that these things are rotate around, and we've seen huge success. And <clears throat> I just might add that the initiative now went in front of the, the House of Commons um, multi-party group and, and got um, resounding um, applaud for the work that they're seeing. Uh, the department is is, is pleased with, what, with what's been done so far. And because of our own position, we have set up um, a base camp where folks can feed in for, for information uh, to us and, and to, the, to the others. And we've seen, we've seen good results. So We had a uh, community of practice session about a week ago, and 60 people on the call. <laughs> and they were so pleased that, you know, these are folks who were left in the margins for many years that they got some kind of support as well. So we expect to see good results. And I believe as a result, it will give BBI some legs, um, some additional legs um, for, for an- another few years. So we're, we're proud of that development.
1: You mentioned that you're now expanding into Atlantic Canada. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Atlantic Canada Black Entrepreneurship Ecosystem Program?
2: Yeah. So, um, so what, has, what has happened is, um, uh, I think Don knows it. But so for many years, um, once BBI said, we were always pushing that, listen, guys, if you'd use this, uh, this model, these are the kind of results you can get. So we've had, um. You know we've we've tried um, previously with with the cretchen government we tried to send Oliver with the Harper government to do exactly what's happening now so kudos to the folks who've actually finally pushed through and when it went to set up the guys were looking at an ecosystem across the country and how do you get folks to deliver that and the federal government um, invested in over 200 million dollars and a portion of it was for ecosystem because the feeling was, when BBI was designed, we thought that most people think that the problem is money, but money is not the problem. The real problem, money is not the problem. There are other things, the wraparound services, the skills development, attention to digital adaption and those, those areas. So the idea was you need an ecosystem of folks to be available to entrepreneurs who are driving not only the lending piece of it to provide those supports so that was kudos to that um and so the, the government in their wisdom not only set up the loans fund that the face coalition is delivering the loans fund and we as in bbi i am the vice chair of face and that's distributing about 160 million in loans through um, to the business development bank of of, of, of canada um, but in conjunction with that, you need troops on the ground to speak to these thousands of people who now want to be entrepreneurs. And you know, business may sound easy, <laughs> but it's not. I mean, you know, you, you have a lot of areas that. So the 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 ecosystem is supposed to get folks information, services, training, and strategies to help their companies uh, survive and maybe even um, even markets. So we um we and a group uh called Tribe uh, the two folks in, in the Atlantic. We didn't put our name to be um pan Canadian because that's a that's a immense of work and pretty bulky and I mean we're we're we were Nova Scotia first. And so we we keep that um on our hat how do we deliver that as well.
0: I wanted to ask you uh, just briefly about uh you know organizations becoming increasingly conscious of the need for uh, more diversified workforces. Rustin, you mentioned that BBI is doing uh, work with uh, organizations and helping with this, and a lot of organizations are now starting to take this on themselves. But, um, you know, what do you feel uh, is the further opportunity for BBI in in helping uh, create more diversified workforces in in, in our region? Yeah,
2: well, I, I mean, we've always taken the position that we are, you know, an I- intermediary in this true sense, and not only in terms of, of dollars, but we actually can o- open the doors and, and lead through. And so, I think there's a there's a huge opportunity. You have guys like P4G, and um, I know and Divine, and and others who are actually um, who are actually doing this type of work, who can be engaged and so when i when i look at diversity and it almost seemed to be in style but uh, i can I, I can recall um um ray Ivany with nscc or god nixon um with um with abc way way back like you know two decades ago who was talking this type of language and so i i said this because um i i believe that having um having colleagues on on all sides is important but folks we still need to understand to understand that this is is not only it's an economic answer, right? as, as well as well as a social answer that that um, straddles both pieces. And so, I think that I, I can I often say I can tell the community leaders who get it, right? You know, they're 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 not apologists. They actually know what they're talking about. They're folks who literally approaches. It well, we're trying to help, but we don't know what to do and so on. You know, you do what you're doing with a certain sense of honesty and integrity and, and you support where, where the folks are going to go because, um, you know, most people in the Black community notice this and they know, this, they know the sincerity and, and, and the strategies. And the other thing is just um, just to be sure on this, that it's it's well-meaning and it's for good results, right? Like it's not um, um, an, an example if I might just add, like sometimes proposals are put out and folks are coming in to help, but really um, they're coming in probably because it's a larger contract and it's it's targeted. And so how they can share that instead of building the capacity of the community. Whereas if you build that organizational community up, you still have much more benefits um, that comes back in the long run.
1: So, Rustam, you were recently inducted into the Nova Scotia Business Hall of Fame along with uh, my esteemed colleague, Don Mills. Uh, what did that induction mean to you personally, into the Black community uh, in Halifax and across Nova Scotia?
2: Yeah, I think I think Don would admit that we're both still still swimming in that in that moment of glory. Um, for, for me, for me, I was I mean, tremendously um, flattered because. Um, as compared to most of folks on that, I had no personal gain or, you know, wealth creation directly out of it. Mine was really seeing a community get lifted up and and recognized after decades of of work. Um, Whereas uh, somebody like like Don or Mike Duck, who is also a laureate, those guys have uh, uh, grown a company to build that. So just to be, one of the in that select group of icons for doing that type of um uh, service and strategy for me i was i was not only honored but um, really flattered that, that folks would see the the my little corner of the world is doing that um you know i'm not naive you know getting 400 million dollars put in black business community because of your work it is it is a it is a significant achievement but my work is a, is a I'm, I'm the face of a collective that came out of it and i think people i'm not I'm, i think you know i mentioned we mentioned mike and and larry gibson some of the other titans in in from our community who have done that kind of work and i'm, I'm sure they're business owners and business operators much much more um, elegant than I who've actually had that thing. Nevertheless, um, if my dad and mom were alive, we'd be over the moon. <laughs> this is this is uh this is a, a, a recognition of a lifetime and um I don't want to 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 lessen the importance to me and my family. Um I think that's as as a personal bit um getting it from Shakira Joseph who was on our team the BBI team some years ago and now CEO junior achievers was, a, was an added bonus to all of this. And it, it proves that um, like there's no denying from my accent that I was not born in in Nova Scotia. I still consider myself to be a, to be a, a black Nova Scotian. I know the African Nova Scotian community been here for four, 400 years plus and being marginalized in a lot of ways. And so f- for me, well, I should also add that I spent over two thirds of my life here. I came here as a very young man. I've been living here for over 50 years now. Um, but for me for my adopted uh, country and my adopted community, it was a, a sincere moment of, uh, of, of, of pride and, and achievement um, for, for, for the African community because were it not for Wayne Adams and Dolly Williams and others who created this initiative, who knows, right? Um, you know, you would, probably wouldn't have made it to, to, to this level. And so I'm still touched, so still
1: very touched. So you were also named as one of the top 100 most influential Black leaders in Canada by Afro-Global television. I think it's very, uh, very interesting because you're based in Halifax. I don't think people really understand the size of, of the community in Halifax and the business community and how the Black business community in Halifax. Can you tell us a little bit about that recognition and what it means to be from Nova Scotia and be named at that national, on that national list?
2: Yeah, well, I think the work that we do with PBI is probably the, the biggest secret <laughs> in, in Nova Scotia, even in Canada. So at the tables that we sit at right now, um, people are deferring to, to Nova Scotia and the BBI and, on a lot of those issues. So when you see things like the Black Opportunity Fund that's trying to raise a billion dollars, we're on that board. They um, they actually are tapping in on what we've achieved with our, our loan um, program and those strategies. When you see the FACE Coalition, when they were being set up, um, they were using our journey with the banking sector because we had worked with RBC and we knew what... Um, uh, cultural banking and support systems look like. In fact, what you see now that's coming out of the, the chartered banks, TD and those guys with their cultural lending strategy, that's because during the process, we were sitting at the table with about eight banks across Canada and speaking about what we do and how we do things and, and why, and, and why certain supports work and certain things don't work. So we've seen all of that, and so the folks at Africa Global—I mean, like, you know—getting that from your community is <laughs> really um, a week or so before being um, inducted into the into the Hall of Fame, um, being a visionary for something that you took for granted 20, 25 years ago. Um, it's it's really a, not o- not only is it um, something a highlight of of one's life. It is a moment that you actually can reflect on how your own journey, I mean, from being someone who wants to be a medical doctor or engineer to be to be to be where 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 you ended up on your own journey, if you if you don't pivot and, and look at different areas as well. So that was meaningful, um, very meaningful for me to be named among and again the 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 like the like the Hall of Fame, the folks who are on that, like people, like Wes Wes Hall, um, Michael Lee Chin, who's a billionaire, and, and others, um, um, right down to Pinball Clements, who who just won the won the won the won the, the, the Grey Cup. So to be rubbing shoulders to shoulders on, on those guys is important. But when um, when the folks sit at the table, in and most people in Nova Scotia don't realize that whether it's the SBCCI. Or the entrepreneurship journey through the Black Opportunity Fund and others, they actually defer to what BBI has um, has tested, you know, and and um, and done. So we're proud of that as well.
0: Well, you know, Rustin, we're proud we're proud of you too. <laughs> the uh, uh, looking ahead, what are the greatest challenges uh, to the Black business community in becoming even more successful, in your opinion?
2: So. Um, well, I, I, I believe, and that's what we went on last. I think that we have to, we don't do well is keeping our ears to the ground in terms of trends, right? And what I mean by that is um, we still get stuck in, in mostly the traditional sector, which all, the, which all of those are fine. Um, the, the product and so on is fine, but the business and services is changing at, at lightning speed, right? So we, we tend to be in, in retail, hair care, restaurant, construction, uh, without taking on technology and digital aspects, um, AI and those things. And I think Don Buro at the chamber dinner last night spoke eloquently on um, what is called the fourth industrial revolution, where those type of things is how business will be done in the future. So we actually spent a lot of money over the last uh, two years on digital adaption. We we're trying to get guys to think differently um, you know it, uh, like the, the companies that we gravitate to uh, red ocean because uh, red ocean as, as you know because of the blood the blood in the water because there's so many people in it and um, need needing um, blue ocean strategies where you you think um, you know, outside the box of are different areas as well as engaging in in um, how Businesses done in 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 the era of um, hybrid workplace, technology, um, supply chains interruption, um, even diversity in in the, in the supply chains, and who do you provide service services to? In that type of thinking, we need to do a, a much a much better job in that engagement. And the other thing is getting a grasp on the the business planning aspects for me is also also key because the tendencies we think if we have money we're we're in business but money cannot um create sales like you know it'll help you at a certain point but you still need to do sales and get in those strategies i believe the ecosystem would help i think that's there's some some of the organizations would have to have their own capacity bill but um yeah, if we if we pay attention to where the the economy is going, and, and I keep warning our team, for example, that you, you know, the economy probably could slow down over the next period of time, and so what are the tools that you need to be in place? And
0: I, I want to ask you a supplementary question. Uh, you know, this is one that's been on my mind for a while. Um, how supportive has the general business community been um, um, to BBI, and how could that support be improved, in your opinion? Great question. Um, <laughs> it could be better. Um, um,
2: I, I believe we know the leaders who are good at it and, and who are genuine. Um, I, you know, I take, for example, my late friend... Um, um, Sean O'Regan, who, you know, at a very early stage, he actually supported us. And, um, you know, I gravitated to Sean. I have, um, at our 15th anniversary, he would sit at the table head to head, um, often call out of the blue. I I recall, you know, uh, he, during, um, during COVID, Unsolicited, he would call to see if the companies he can anything he can do and those type of stuff. So yeah. there, they there, there, are folks who actually have done that for no particular um, uh, gain. So you have that that level of empathy. On the flip side of that, you have um, people who are genuinely willing to help, but will say things like, um, Sue would say, you know." I wonder if um, you people would would, um, would uh, have some young guys who want to do this. They would listen to me, but you know, and so those type of strategies are still there. I believe right. the the I believe more and more more and more um, business leaders are getting a better sense to it because you're starting to see some of what we've been preaching for twenty plus years is that you have to have folks at the table. Um, you know, the, the, the cultural awareness for, um, for the Black community doesn't happen if they're at the door of the boardroom and inside the boardroom, they're not reflected. And I can recall how those things are done because even to us, um, when BBI first began I recall the first retreat that I went to as the executive director, the guys didn't know how to handle it. And um, Mm -hmm. here was a board members meeting and they sent me home Mm -hmm. and and the board spoke to themselves. So in, in, in some of the businesses in the white community still having that where the guys sit in the room and they speak to themselves and the people who it matters to are not, are not included um in the conversation so as well meeting that as that as they are um you're still doing some some significant damage and that would that would only that would only change when the culture changes right
1: so just a last question for you here today um can you tell us where you'd like to see the black business initiative go in the next five years you know more of a regional footprint taking on new initiatives and where do you see yourself uh, fitting in that uh, next five year strategy. <laughs>
2: so, I'll answer, the, I'll answer the first one. First. So, um, I, I believe that the, the BBI itself is, is in a good place now. There are obviously things that we can do better, and um, with um, with COVID and so on. Like one of the key things, keeping good people now is very competitive. Guys are looking for diversity and can pay more, and the, and those um, type of, of strategies. I believe that we're in a good sense because I know nationally, and I'm not talking about government without, within the Black community, we're seen as a high-capacity organization. And even with the contribution agreements and contracts that we now have, we have a, a lifespan past 2025. So when we speak our strategy now, we're speaking um, to 2030 already. Uh, what do we look like at 2030? What do we want to be. So it's, In terms of the organization itself, I believe the Supporting Black Community Initiative is a key piece. And the ecosystem becomes important because the folks who are going to become the ongoing bigger players, like the Black Opportunity Fund, um, because they're actually putting in a proposal for the Philanthropic Fund, which is another $200 million or so, um, the FACE Coalition. Those are the folks that um, if BBI continue to engage on that level, it is, And my my um, hope is that we don't compromise on quality. So we, we are prepared to make the tough decision, tough questions, whether it's popular or not, as long as it's gonna improve the community. So you wouldn't see things like um, the Black Cultural um, Tourism Strategy, like the Black Loyalist, Black Cultural Center without that. So that's how I feel about the organization. I think it has a good, you know, with good leadership, it should be able to continue to to make changes. And I think the the second part, um, for Dave, is uh, um, I don't think um, my 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 wife needs me in the house just yet. But I believe, um, like I, I I've I've done, um, like me and Don, I think we've had our biblical allotment of years and. In my 70s already, I'm actually <laughs> may not look it but I'm 72 years old. So although I'm willing to, to help and uh, you know I, I, for lack of people wanting to tap into the experiences, um, I think that my, my preference would be to obviously not not um, leave anyone stranded, but to have a younger set uh, more capable and more energized than I am. To, to to take the, the lead and, and sustain because ultimately you can do the organization harm if you're staying too long and um, you know coming back and getting it to this point it's, I think it's time to, to to transcend on leadership and look at our other opportunities um, um, that we're doing on a, on a national basis on the entrepreneurial front. I actually mentor meetings with folks from from BC, Quebec who just call once a month, just saying what they're doing to me and, and those things, and I I don't mind providing that uh, to the to the community. I al- I also think that um, I owe my golf game some 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 some, some, <laughs> some work, and I've I've always felt that um, you know with my with my two sons, did I give them did I give them enough enough time. Um, of uh, of my own, um, with their own careers, would that what would their life would have been if I had spent more time and and in, in those areas to see how they would have um, developed. So it's it's a chance to reflect on those things and uh, continue continue the work, but mostly more and more from the sidelines.
1: Well, I think you and Don are both good examples of uh, of uh, um you know, being a successful leader is well beyond the sort of traditional retirement age of 65. So we appreciate (laughs) that. Listen, Rustin, thank you so much for for telling us your story, uh, for telling us about the Black Business Initiative. I think this will be very uh, inspiring to our listeners. And we wish you very well uh, uh, with the organization and and also personally, as you you move forward in the coming years, we wish you all all success. I think, thank you. And certainly, um,
2: Just want to thank Don for thinking of um, having this conversation as well.
0: A chance to tell it. It's been great having you on the program, Rustin. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. Mark Legere helped produce this episode. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week.